People of the universe, please attend carefully. The podcast which follows is vital to the future of you all. You're listening to the Doctor Who podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who podcast, you've got not one, not one, but two interviews to look forward to. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast, a very exciting edition of the Doctor Who podcast, it has to be said. But before we tell you precisely why, hello Lisa and how are you? Hello James, I'm, I'm very well, I'm, I'm quite excited uh, uh, about uh, about the podcast. Mm, indeed, we have got two really exciting interviews to bring you uh, over the next half an hour or so. There is one slight downside though, Leeson. Oh, go on then, what's that? Well, neither you or I were there to record. <laughs> what you're about to hear are a couple of interviews that were recorded at the most recent Big Finish Day. This is the third event uh, that they had. And sadly, as, as has been the form with all previous Big Finish Days, nobody from the Doctor Who podcast camper van has been able to make it. So in our stead, we had two friends of the show who are rapidly becoming... Much more than friends, they're becoming part of the Doctor Who podcast, Tony and Laura. Our roving um, reporters. Uh, roving reporters, I like that. I wonder if they would like being described as roving reporters. There's, there's something slightly canine about it, isn't there? Mm, yes, I like that. Nice link, nice link. <laughs> that leads us on very, very subtly and completely unplanned, it has to be said, to introducing our first interviewee. John, very excellent name, Leeson. I'm John Leeson. You are listening to the Doctor Who podcast. You're most welcome. This is Tony and Laura from the Doctor Who podcast at Big Finish Day 3, and we are joined by the one and the only John Leeson himself. Hello, sir. Good after... Sorry, good afternoon. Yes, hi. <laughs> you don't do that voice all the time, then? Uh, I try not to, no. no. Not that it hurts, I have to say. And I'm really lucky because I'm not like a Dalek. I don't need to have any, any gizmos to make the voice sound... Like K9, which it does a bit. Um, it sounds. I think so. It sounds spookily like K9. Ah, in effect. Well, How many years have you been playing K9 now? Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> um, since 1977, I think it was in the last century. I could be wrong. Time travel being what it is. And you played him in all sorts of forms and media and TV shows, not just Doctor Who. Absolutely. Canine sort of became more than the sum of his constituent parts, if you like. Uh, instantly recognisable, I think, by the children or the younger audience that liked Doctor Who. And so he appeared on Blue Peter. I remember on Blue Peter, it was extraordinary. It was a lady called Barbara Woodhouse, mm. uh, who was very grand and she trained dogs and things, but she'd never, ever seen Doctor Who. And um, her own dog, um, no, no, she didn't have her own dog, let me get this straight. At the time Blue Peter was being shown, John Noakes had a sheepdog called Shep, a very playful sheepdog. 
And Barbara Woodhouse was much taken by the fact that when K9 appeared on the, uh, on the studio floor, Shep got terribly excited. And, um, well, the cameras had to turn rather swiftly away from Shep. It was, uh, it was in children's broadcasting time, and uh, K9 didn't know what to make of it, really. But Shep had a really good time. Right, yes, excited in that way. I see, right, yes. Um, but Ken Ives appeared in a lot of places. He, he has been uh, an animated Australian TV series in the last few years, and he, he never seems to have gone out of fashion. Well, he, well <laughs> the funny thing is that he's always been um, sort of knocked aside and uh, inefficient and run down batteries and this, the, things like that, but he always seems to have been brought back, which is... Quite remarkable. Um, well, I, I'm absolutely delighted by the fact, you know, I just wait for the phone to ring and will you do some more? What's it been like uh, working with the people that you worked with in the 70s more recently? Well, working with Tom Baker, of course, uh, to whom K9 was loaned at the beginning of the, of the, of the storylines he was in, uh, absolutely fantastic. I mean, Tom's energy as the Doctor, was just prolific. It was awe-inspiring. Mental energy, physical energy. I mean, anybody who plays the Doctor, you know, has got a big task to carry uh, the, the weight of Doctor Who. And it's sort of increased ac uh, across the series in many, in many cases. I mean, David Tennant and Matt Smith, you know, have, uh, nowadays uh, have got that amazingly more history behind them to, to, to carry through. So they, they cannot fail, but then they've got two hearts, so that helps, doesn't it? I mean, these days, there seems to be a lot of press attention on the actors who play the Doctor, Matt and David. Mm. Um, Tom was very popular with the children, but did, did they have the same level of, sort of press intrusion, if you like? Um, I kept myself very low-key, indeed. Uh, partly because... I didn't want to be identified by anybody as the voice of K9 um, because it was still magic, you know. Mm. This robot-like grey thing that trundles around the studio floor noisily apparently has a life of its own. So I didn't want to sort of be, be too high profile and I kept myself, kept my head down. But, of course, you did appear in front of the cameras within Doctor Who as well. Yes. Um, I was talking to David Warner earlier on about this because apparently um, I think it was Martin Jarvis who was originally cast to play my part and he was unavailable and so I was available and the BBC said, well, he's, he's still in the building, let's give him something else to do. I think, it, yeah, honestly, I think it was as simple as that. It was the power of Kroll. Wasn't it, it was the power of Kroll. And what a power that is. Wow. You should thank yourself lucky that you didn't get covered in green paint. Uh, well, there's a story. Go on. <laughs> Dare I? Well, the Swampies, who were these creatures which were made up in this amazing green paint, were let loose at lunchtime around BBC Television Centre. And, of course, they, they sat on things. Uh, they went up to the restaurant, had, had a meal and things. And eventually, memos were flying around the BBC like mad because the cleaning bill 
of all this green gunge that was left behind uh, was, was, was extortionate. And so uh, they decided uh, thereafter that they wouldn't have green painted monsters in Doctor Who. So we originally just booked for Canine's first serial um, and not expecting it to carry on. Absolutely. Uh, it was just for the invisible enema, e- enemy, <laughs> the invisible enemy. And so it came as, as a very big surprise to me, halfway through the recording of the story, that they said, well, we, we think there's probably some mileage in, in K-9. We're going to write him in for some more. And here I am now in a new century. Yeah. Still, apparently, playing K-9 occasionally. So how did you end up playing K-9 in the first place? Bit of an accident. Um, I'd worked in the theatre, because I'm basically a theatre actor, um, I'd worked in the theatre with a director called Derek Goodwin. He was directing productions at Nottingham Playhouse at the time, and I think I was there. And uh, hadn't seen him for years. And I went down to my local pub, and lo and behold, in comes Derek. He'd been directing Z cars uh, in the locality. And he said, oh, John, mate, lovely, lovely, nice to see you, mate. Um, are you, do, are you busy at the moment? The standard answer for actors to give is, no. Uh, I said, well, I, I can't tell you what I'm doing, but do you ever watch Doctor Who? So I said, well, yeah, I've seen, I've heard of Doctor yes, fine. Well, d- no, uh, I'll study. Um, tell you what, uh, stand by your phone and we'll see what happens. And I got a call from my agent one day to say, John, I just had a call from the BBC as though it was the most strange thing he'd ever heard. <laughs> and he said... Um, Just what you need for an agent. And, <laughs> quite, absolutely. But he said, the BBC wants you to play not just one, but two parts in Doctor Who. What do you think? So I said, wow, this meeting I'd had with Derek was extraordinary. It must have it worked fantastically. So I said, what are the parts? He said, well, that's the funny thing. One is the part of the voice of a virus, tiny part, obviously, and the other one was the voice of a tin dog. What do you think? So I thought, well, uh, there's nothing to be lost. It's only in for one storyline. Go for broke. So there we are. And now you're back playing canine with Mary Tam and Tom Baker on Audio Adventures for Big Finish. Indeed, indeed, indeed. The big finish has been absolutely wonderful. Partly because the scripts are very good, of course, but the other lovely thing about it is, of course, that the audience build the sets and everything is so much more real because it's, it's internalised by, by the hearers. Um, and it's great to do that because you, you do focus rather more uh, it's like doing a radio play. You, you have to give, as it were, 120% in order to get across 100%, if you follow me. But um, some of the, uh, the, the actors um, that Big Finish have employed across the years, my goodness me, one sort of is, is humble to be in their company. Really, really amazing people. And the scope of the stories that you can do on audio is much mm. bigger as well. Absolutely, absolutely. The, uh, the, the sky's the limit, as they say. That, that's, that's understating it a little, I think, but there we are. And Canine doesn't have the limitations that he had. No, no indeed, absolutely. 
canine can do anything, be anything, go anywhere. He can be silver, he can be gold, he can be, oh, whatever, I don't know, whatever. But no, yes, indeed, the, it, it does sort of throw into perspective the strictures of having worked in the studio or on location, because the physical module of canine couldn't go very fast. Occasionally he had to be pulled along by fishing wire, you know, and things like that. So um, he, he, was, he was always uh, somewhat disadvantaged. But on radio, or indeed in audio, no uh, bar at all. He can do anything, go anywhere. Did you still have those similar constraints in Sarah Jane adventures? You know, so they hadn't improved the technology at all? Well, with the Sarah Jane adventures, one thing was very different um, because I was no longer working on the studio floor or in uh, location situations. I was putting the voice on afterwards in a dubbing theatre. Now, right, okay, it's good housekeeping. It, you know, the BBC don't have to, to send me off and put me up at hotels and uh, out on locations and things like that. But at the same time, you lose a very valuable dynamic. You don't have live interaction one-to-one -one with the other actors. Uh, and so there again, you have to sort of uh, imagine... Well, that's what actors do. Um, <laughs> you have to imagine that you are absolutely there within the situation uh, uh, as you see it on the screen as it flashes past. Is that similar to how doing a big finish audio is? Because not everybody is there at once, are they? Uh, mostly they are there all the time, yes, uh, indeed. What happens with big finish is that the, the, the audio booths are separated out. And so, obviously, when it comes to the final mix, um, th th there is a lot more flexibility. And then, of course, it goes into post-production for sound effects and all the rest. So, uh, so, so there's, there's quite a bit of machinery behind all the, all the, the, uh, the big finish productions. But um, working on, on it is fairly simple. And Canine has uh, been in the first two or three stories, I think, that have come out. Um, is he going to get up to anything uh, adventurous in, in future episodes? I damn well hope so. <laughs> My goodness, yes. Uh, but, but you're asking me a question I can't really answer because I don't know until the phone rings and they say, we've actually written something else. Would you like to do it? Uh, I will probably say affirmative or something like that. Um, so, you know, it, it's in their gift. And Kane, I was also in the um, I Am Ethan, the programme produced by Chris yes. Chibnall recently. Yes, indeed, and that was a real pleasure. That was absolutely delightful to do. Young Ethan, profoundly deaf, uh, starting up uh, a rock group. What a con concept, you know, <laughs> amazing. And, uh, but to have been involved in something so human and so delightful uh, was a real privilege. It came across really well, and we got to see a sort of funky animated canine in it as well. Funky animated canine, absolutely. But I still couldn't get up steps. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your wine tasting. I understand you're a connoisseur. Well, I don't know. I'm not half so thick as you drunk, I might be, honestly. No, um, I have a parallel profession as a wine educator. 
and I teach wine courses, generally in London, but I've uh, been teaching wine all over the place, doing wine tastings, this, that, and the other, for years. I belong to the Association of Wine Educators, and I'm a member of the Circle of Wine Writers. Oh, there's grand. (laughs) So how did you get into that? Did it come after acting or before? No, before, really. Um, Or during, I think, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Mostly during. (laughs) Um, Simply, I I had a love of of food and wine. I cook. I'm the the household cook at home, and my wife doesn't seem to mind at all, which is nice. Um, So wine has has been a, a part of my part of the enjoyment of life and so I thought some years ago as uh, acting work is not all that plentiful for all the actors around competition being what it is Mm. I ought to invest in training for a new profession or a a parallel profession because I'm still an actor let's Mm. face it so I trained at the wine and spirit education trust um, got their sort of diplomas and certificates to put in the loo and things like that. Um, and have uh, been doing it for 25 years or more now, I suppose. Yes, must be. Hmm, gosh. Excellent. Well, it has been an absolute honour and a privilege to talk to you today on the Doctor Who podcast. Steady! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to do so. You're very, very welcome. Wonderful interview, Tony and Laura. Thank you very much indeed. And I have to say, I'm incredibly jealous. John Leeson is someone who I've seen at conventions before. In fact, I've even interviewed people on stage whilst John Leeson has been another guest, and I've never been able to sit there and have a chat with him. So uh, that's something that I would very much like to do at some point. But it's always fascinating listening to John talking about his time on the show with Tom Baker. He always ends up talking about crawling around on the floor mm. in rehearsals. And, of course, he's, he's now part of uh, the Big Finish setup. been part of the setup for a very long time, but he's actually acting again with Tom Baker. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, whatever you think of, of Kanan, and I think I'm kind of... I'm, I'm split down the middle, really. Sometimes I'm... Uh, I, I think I don't really mind K9. Uh, I'm, I'm not one of these people who vociferously hate K9, uh, and I don't I don't adore him. Uh, but you've got to admit that that he took what was what was kind of a, a difficult job, and he he put so much character into that little robot dog uh, with with the, vo- the voice work that he did. Um, and K9 really has a personality because of uh, of the way that he mm. uh, he interpreted the role. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody vociferously hating K9. I oh, mean, he's, people do. He's, do they really? Yes, he's, he's, they he's incredibly do. inoffensive. I, I, I hear lots of stories about the production crew at the time having real difficulties with him, and everybody's heard about you know he, the prop not working properly. Mm. And, and, and John Leeson talks about that a lot of the time too. But the whole concept is one of those things that is very enduring about Doctor Who. Mm. I mean, if you ask people who don't watch the show as passionately as as us, which is probably most people, um, what Doctor Who is for them, or what do they think of when they, they hear the words Doctor Who, they'll, they'll say the Doctor, they'll possibly say Regeneration, they'll say a TARDIS, and I think 
they would say canine. Or yeah, scarf would be in there as well. But yeah, I know. I know Probably. What you mean. Um, it, what other show on 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 the planet would would have? Yeah, a, a robot dog. Um, <laughs> A little robot dog that runs around on casters. It is peculiarly British. It's peculiarly sort of Doctor Who. It's um, and it, as you say, it's it's part of what the show's about. It's quirky. It's a little bit eccentric. Um, mm. But and, and a lot of that, I think, um, the fondness for K nine is is down to the performance that John Leeson gave. Uh, which, as as you notice, when you see Shada or you know the episodes where where he wasn't playing K nine, it's an approximation of the K nine character. But there's something something missing. <laughs> Poor David Briley. I mean, I, I don't really mind either interpretation of K9. I think John Leeson is most certainly the definitive version. And mm. it's only right that that version of K9 is the one that was brought back for the new show and mm. indeed went on initially to uh, to have his own series out in, uh, out in Australia, or filmed in Australia at least. Oh, and that was, uh, um, well, that was a mixed bag, wasn't it? I didn't see it. Did you? Did you get to watch any? Oh, yeah, I saw the um, I saw the pilot episode. Um, hmm. Uh, well, it's not aimed at me. It wasn't. It wasn't. Let's say it wasn't aimed at me. And it it it, it didn't hit. Yeah, it didn't hit me in any way, uh, shape, or form. Oh well. Anyway, um, moving on from one spin-off <laughs> uh, to another, but this time it's a Big Finish spin-off. Um, you may remember a little while ago, Big Finish were extremely fortunate to secure the services of Chase Masterson, and she appeared, I think, in at least two Big Finish plays, one with Tom Baker, I think it was a Christmas special last year, Night of the Stormcrow, and indeed The Shadow Heart, which was the conclusion to a Seventh Doctor trilogy that... I think, came out sometime last year. Anyway, Big Finish were incredibly impressed by her performance and decided to give the character she played in The Shadow Heart her own spin-off called... Oh, Vienna! Yes. I like to think that it's linked somehow to Cold War and David Warner. Oh, yes. Well, it's the tangled web of Doctor Who. It's all part of the tangled web of, of Doctor Who and all its little satellite uh, programmes. And Tony and Laura actually managed to speak to Chase's wonderful name, Masterson. Hi, this is Chase Masterson, and you're listening to the Doctor Who podcast. You are most welcome. I have in my possession a device that allows you to create secure subfolders in your brain where you can lock away compromising memories. <laughs> It was developed as a way of protecting confidential business information by placing a whole day into a memory box. I have a little rule. No one is allowed to hear my name and live. Tony from the Doctor Who podcast at Big Finish Day 3 and we're here talking to Chase Masterson. Hey guys, how are you? And you might recognise Chase's voice from Vienna. Vienna, the impossibly glamorous mercenary assassin from Big Finish. And how did you come into doing Vienna in the first place? You know, it's such a fun story. I was um, at a convention in Colorado last year with Fraser Hines and Sam Stone and Dave Howe and they were telling me... um, about Big Finish, and I'd heard of it, but I just hadn't really known that much about the work that they do, and Fraser said, well, you should come do an episode. And I, I, 
got in touch with the big Finnish guys, David Richardson emailed me, and since then it's just been a whirlwind. It's been one thing after another, and I'm really grateful. Um, I did Night of the Storm Crow opposite Tom and Louise, and that was really fun. Um, I played a, a kind of a villainous character, and after that they said, hmm, we've got this other role, and it was Vienna in The Shadowheart. And that was opposite Sylvester McCoy, who is my favorite doctor. He is my Clark Gable. <laughs> and um, I was just so thrilled to get to work with him. And um, then they spun off the character into my own series. So technically, it's a Doctor Who spinoff. And Vienna is, uh, we just did our third episode. And um, there's going to be three episodes in a box set come out later next year. Right now, um, one episode is already out, and that is Vienna, the Memory Box, written by Jonathan Morris. And then the next three will be out in early 2014. Cool. So take us back to Night of the Storm Crow. You're in the studio with Louise Jameson and Tom Baker. How was that? Oh, my gosh. It's just wonderful. I mean, you know, you have to be really careful when you are a fan of people that you're working with that you totally don't just dork out, you know, like, oh my God, here I'm drooling on you and I'm supposed to be, you know, your contemporary fellow actor. But I think that they knew that I had a huge fondness and I don't think I drooled too much. I, I think they knew that I had a great respect for their work and that all my friends are jealous. It seems that almost everybody who works for Big Finish has to tread that line between maintaining their cool professional exterior and letting out the excited fan inside them as well. So I don't think you're on your own. Thank you. I think that's probably the case, actually, because that's why, that's a lot of why we do this, right? I mean, it's wonderful to have your, your, your idols. And I, I've worked with people that have been, you know, fans of Star Trek and, and stuff. And, you know, obviously you can't let it get in the way of the work, but it's certainly nice to be appreciated. I mean, how many incredibly talented people are there out there who never get to work at all? So you have to have your feet on the ground and just go, you know, I'm really grateful to be here. I'm really blessed. And yeah, it's just yes, yes. <laughs> Night of the Stormcrow is quite dark as well in places. It's, it's not a, 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 a light and fluffy story. It's not. It's, it's quite dark. And um, it was kind of my first introduction to working with the, the stuff and the sound effects and all of that. And it's quite wonderful how certain actors can fill a space with, you know, they can really bring that darkness to the table with nothing but a microphone, you know? And Tom certainly has one of those voices, and Louise as well. And then you see that, you know, the magic happens both in the studio and with the incredible post-production that Big Finish does, the music. It's, it's a lot of fun. And they work at quite a pace as well. Very much so. Um, Nicholas Briggs directed that one, and we got it done, you know, we were out by 5 o'clock that day. But it's, uh, you know, we, we, we do get a, a pretty good pace going. And um, thankfully that's... Well, that's because we usually do it on one take or two takes. Because you're such good professionals, well, I think yes is the answer. We are, you know. So, Night of the Storm Crow, obviously you impressed the big Finnish producers very, uh, very well in that, and they asked you back. Yes, it was really cool. David Richardson told me that he called Ken Bentley, and he said, who do you have coming in for Vienna, uh, for the role of Vienna in Shadowheart next week? And Ken said he didn't have anybody nailed down for it yet, and David said, I think I've got your girl. So... 
I'm really grateful that it worked with, um, well, for one thing, with an American accent. And, um, of course, I could do a British accent if I wanted to, but I'm pretty damn American, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I... I have difficulty picturing Vienna without an American accent now. Well, thank you. I mean, Vienna is just who she is. That's the thing about hers, that for all of the accents and things that she's capable of pulling off, and she does don a few disguises, Vienna is, um, she pretty much is uh, very down to earth, no bones about it, just who she is, you know? It's nice to have a character that just isn't out to please anybody. So Sylvester McCoy and Tom Baker, two doctors, were they very similar or different? Oh, so different. So different. The first time I met Sylvester was at a convention last year in Peterborough, and um, I was signing, and I turned around. Someone tapped me on the shoulder, and I turned around, and there Sylvester was with his face, like right in my face. <laughs> oh, my God! I just I think he's so magical. And, I mean, everyone knows he's just incredibly magical. And part of what I respect so much about him in addition to his good humor and just his light-hearted whimsicality, is he has been in this business for such a long time and done such an incredible breadth of work. I mean, beginning in vaudeville and playing the spoons and swallowing swords and eating ferrets or whatever. <laughs> okay, down his pants, whatever. I, I mean, these things are extremely admirable. When you look at, we're going from that into this, I mean, an incredible, you know, you're, from that to downloading things on the internet and, uh, you know, uh, one of the, him being in one of the most highly celebrated films of our day with all the special effects, that's an incredible career. And that's a man who's seen a lot and worked with some of the top actors in history and, you know, Ian McKellen, John Gilwood, and just the fun and humility that he still has and not taking himself too seriously, not letting all that build into this incredible ego that some actors would have, but keeping a sense of playfulness is such a great thing, and it's so rare. Um, I love him. And the story itself is very playful as well. It has a lot of uh, energy and, and pace, not just because of Vienna, but there's some of the other characters that are in it as well. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it was a lot of fun working with, with the other actors, and that's gone on into these other episodes of, of Vienna as well. John Banks, for instance. Um, what a wonderful actor, and he's not someone that a lot of people you know, know right off the bat when you say John Banks, but I was signing today my, my three episodes, which I'm grateful to have, and there are people with a stack of 20 for John, you know, and, and it's just, you know, when you consider the amount of talent that goes into some of this stuff, and he can masquerade himself as four or five voices in one episode, and you'll never know it, you know. You think it's four or five actors. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, I, I just, I'm, I'm really excited to have the team that we have. Where would you like Vienna to go, story-wise, character? Thank you for asking. That's a, a, a really great question, and one thing that we know about Vienna from the, uh, the Shadow Heart and the Memory Box is that Vienna is extremely brave and will do anything to get what she wants, which at face value can look like she's just very mercenary, 
But as the stories go on, you see that she has an extremely keen sense of justice. And it's only the people that really should be punished that Vienna takes care of and, you know, gets out of the way, as it were. <laughs> um, so you know all that about her, but you still don't know why. And you find out a little bit more as the series goes on with these two episodes that we did this week. You find out she's definitely got a lot of dark in her past. And um, she that's part of why she has a great heart, because she's been through enough to know not to let anybody else go through it if she doesn't have to. You know, she's out to make the world a better place. But that's not what you see at first. At first, you just see this sassy, you know, as they say in the character description, impossibly glamorous. <laughs> Is it possible? No, it's not possible. So it's fun that she's got so many facets. And then um, the next two episodes that we're doing, um, that we filmed, or filmed, that we recorded this week, Dead Drop by Mark Wright, uh, which is wonderful. It's an action-packed piece. It starts in, you know, about the third scene and just takes off and doesn't stop until it's over. Um, a lot of action and cool twists and turns. And um, then there's also, and, and, and there's some good relationships that are built there. Um, are we going to see uh, a collection of, of regular characters forming around Vienna, or is that just not possible because of who she is and what she does? Well, that's the thing, is that nobody lasts around very, very Vienna very long, because <laughs> the good people she doesn't need to hang out with, because they're already good, and the bad people tend to disappear. But anyway, there's not a lot of regular characters yet, although I hear there may be. In the second episode that we did this week, which is the second of the box series, and that's called Bad Faith, it's a really also brilliant concept. Um, Nev Fountain wrote it, and he, as he said, you know, with, with rich people, they think they've got everything, and they, you know, that money can buy everything, and then people say, well, money can't buy you love, or money can't buy you faith. And he thought, well, what if it could? So this is about rich people stealing faith, and that, and what does it do, and, and the degradation and humiliation of having the very last thing that you would think could never be taken from you actually robbed, and Vienna goes out to avenge that. It sounds like we're going to touch on some quite serious and deep subjects yes. for a, a character that started off kind of very fun and almost a comedy killer. Exactly, exactly. That's good to, it's good to hear you're going to be able to develop it a lot more. I, one of the things that I uh, remember about the memory box was it has such energy and pace uh, and vitality that it was, it was a bit of a breath of fresh air, really. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really pleased to kind of hear you're going to be able to hopefully maintain that but develop it. I think so. I was I was wondering how anyone could do a follow-up script that was, frankly, I mean that was that was as good as Jonathan Morris's, and and these guys have. They're really a lot of fun, and the relationships are more built, as I understand it, into the third of the box set, which we have not recorded yet, um, which Jonathan Morris is writing, and that, that's going to tell more about why Vienna does what she does and what it is that she, that she really wants, you know. Um, you're right, it's not that this girl just likes to do her job for money, there's a huge reason, um, so. So, you've worked with two doctors. Mm. Are there any others you'd like to work with? Well, of course. Which ones, and why? <laughs> well, 
I, to be frank, I would really, they asked me that this morning, and, and it's such a ballsy thing to say, but I'd love to have Vienna work with the fourth doctor. I think that Vienna and Tom Baker would be a fun, a fun match for each other because I, I don't, I just, you know, Vienna and Sylvester had this chemistry and they're both as, as cranky and as mischievous as each other. And I, I think that Vienna and the fourth doctor would have a bit more of a showdown. You know, if I was going to screw with him, I don't think it would be quite so easy. And he would probably end up teaching me a lesson. And that's fine, because Vienna can be taught a lesson too. You know, she's certainly fallible, young, doesn't know everything. Uh, so I'd like to see what they have to say to each other, you know? Well, excellent. Hopefully one day we will. Um, thank you very much indeed for taking a few minutes to talk to us. Thank you so much. I, I'm so excited to be on your show. Congratulations on it. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Laura. And thank you, Chase. What a wonderful interview. And uh, Vienna is something that I am certainly looking forward to listening to. It's been on my iPod for some time now, but I've just not got round to selecting it. But I think listening to Chase Masterson speak about it, it's going to bump it up the list a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's on my list of things to listen to. And the thing about Big Finish is, is in, in my head... They are kind of, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's, it's very it's Doctor Who. I listen to Big Finish for Doctor Who, and then every now and again, I'll I'll stumble across one of the, one of the other ranges that they do, be it Dark Shadows or uh, or even the Black Seven ones that they're doing now, which which are fabulous, um, or Beneath Summerfield, which and they always surprise me, and they are they're marvelous. Big Finish are are a very good company, and they choose their um, they choose their licenses and the, and, the, and the things that they they put out very well. They've even done a, a brilliant series of talking books. They did out. Edgar Allan Poe. They've done, uh, they've done Sherlock Holmes, haven't they? Um, and and the oh, they've done more things than I can remember, to be honest with you. And they've they've experimented in all manner of different uh, genres, um, as, as you say. But they are a very very high quality audio company, mm. and uh, I'm quite happy to listen to what essentially is a spin off of a niche mm. <laughs> version of a show so you could say it's a spin-off of a spin-off yeah, really. they, t- they take you down very, very interesting interesting avenues but and it's uh, gratifying to see that it's big finish have had their uh, their license renewed to, to uh, make doctor who again to 2016 they are my commute to work they are my uh, holiday they are my um, my lazy uh, summer's day walk that I, that I take them wherever wherever I am and if ever I haven't got any any new ones on on my phone or my uh, my non-specific mp3 device then um, then I sometimes feel a bit lost you know because you're never alone with a big finish no indeed anyway we need to say thank you very much indeed to Derek Hanley and David Richardson for giving Tony and Laura access to uh, to big finish day three thank you also of course to john leeson and chase masterson who you've just been listening to and of course leeson thank you for joining me once again in the caravan Do you know james it's it's always a pleasure yes that sounded just a little bit too sincere <laughs> mm. anyway listeners with maniacal laughter ringing in my ears we will bid you farewell for another week when we'll be back talking about more oh doctor who probably Bye for now. Cheerio. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.
Well, how about that? Two interviews, one with John Leeson, one with Chase Marsden. No, can we do it? I'm going to feel like I'm BBC One just recapping what people have just seen. So, it doesn't work. Previously on the Doctor Who yeah. podcast. <laughs> oh, ten minutes ago. Yes, in case your attention yeah. span is that of a goldfish. Like on Channel, um, channel 5 right. documentaries, uh, where they do like the recap of what happened in the previous bit like, at the end of every break. And you just... There's only about 30 minutes in every hour <laughs> yeah, exactly. of, of like original content. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. Okay. Yes, another three years. Yeah, it's a testament to the, to the quality of the, of the work they put out. No, ab- absolutely. And I have to say, it, it, this time of the month as it is now, uh, I always look forward to uh, the new batch of Big Fit. No, that's a load of old b- Sorry. Um, what, is that, is that the new batch just coming out? Yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> only two plays in yeah. that one. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> anyway, listeners, uh, with the maniacal laughter ringing in my ears, we will bid you farewell for another week when we'll be back talking about more ooh, Doctor Who, probably. Bye for now. Cheerio. <laughs> I, oh, you dude, went all yeah. uh, radio too. I uh, just uh, going uh, <laughs> going up at the beginning of the sentence and down at the end. <laughs> I think that should be your new style. I think we should do that. <laughs> <laughs>